Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalligators. We're back from summer break. And even though your summer break, if you're a student, hopefully is nowhere near ending, you know, some of us are already starting to think about back to school. I mean, there's pencils and Crayolas for sale in Target, and I just cannot resist a good Lisa Frank folder. You know, I don't know about you. But look, even if you're not heading back to school at some point, if you're just an adult like me, and time is a flat circle, there's something about back to school time that makes us start thinking about reinvention, right? When I was a student, I would always use the summer as the time for reinvention, whether it was like my hair or my body, or mostly it was my personality. Not like, oh, I made up a completely different persona and character for every school year. That would be incredibly weird. But it was a time where I got to be good and bored over the summer. And I was thinking a lot about what I wanted to leave behind in this new school year. And I've never really stopped having that energy. And I think a lot of us are like that. If for no other reason, we were students for so long. Like it's just baked into us to kind of think in terms of semesters, right? So I wanted to talk about something that is a little bit more specific than what we usually do. Because, you know, sometimes our topics, they're very high level and esoteric and, and philosophical. This one is really literal. And I'm going to give you literal ways to stop it. How to stop oversharing. Now, girl, you know me. I get paid to overshare. I mean, it's my job, right? And so because I have monetized oversharing and because I do get such a good response from it, it is really hard to know when to pump the brakes on that in my personal life. When to say, that was not an appropriate thing to say at an art gallery. <laughs> oh, God. And of course, I have done these things. You know, heaven forbid I ever give you guys a lesson that I haven't had to learn the absolute hardest of hard ways in first-person territory. Like, no, why would I ever fucking do that? So I have been getting a lot of questions from you guys lately about this, which I, I think is so interesting. I don't believe in coincidences. I've literally gotten four questions. If you ever want to submit a question to me, I respond always, like response guaranteed. You can go to my website, shallonlester.com and click submit a question. And you can get help in just 24 hours if you really need it ASAP because I get it. But yeah, it keeps coming up. And then I started to notice it in my real life because I always hate to be a hypocrite. I hate to give you guys advice that I don't take myself. And again, I am <laughs> prone to be a bit of a blabbermouth. So today we're going to talk about how to stop oversharing because that might seem like something that's like, oh, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's not me. You know, I don't, I don't do that. That was my first feeling when I got the first question from one of you girls about oversharing. I'm like, ugh, I don't do that. Oh, really? Okay. And then like questions two through four, I'm like, I guess I do see a lot of myself here. So let this sit a little bit, but look. Even if this isn't your personal peccadillo and something that you don't feel like is in the foreground of what you need to deal with right now, it is something we always just kind of want to keep in our back pocket because oversharing is a symptom of three other things, panic, social inclusion, and low self-esteem. And I have a feeling that somewhere in your life you have felt or are feeling or potentially will feel one, if not all, of those three things. And maybe the way it manifests isn't oversharing, 
but I'm going to tell you what other ways it might be doing it. And then you might go, oh, fuck, that is me. We're going to get into it. But before we do, just want to remind you, we have some spaces left for our trip to Italy. It is going to be so much fun. We've got two this fall. Those are unfortunately sold out. This trip is next April. We're going to Venice, Milan, and Lake Como. It is going to be so incredibly gorgeous. Also gorgeous, the beautiful friendships that we are building in the Chalantourage. Okay, so the Chalantourage is my daily text service. You get texts straight from me right to your phone. We have Wisdom Wednesday, Slutty Saturday, Fuckboy Friday. It's really fantastic. And you get a link to our special Telegram chat. It's a bunch of alligators. We're really sharing so much deep and intimate stuff and forming connections. Our girls are going to go visit each other. It's just wonderful. Also, definitely sign up for Alpha Academy, the sexy sessions. It's my four-part sex tutorial hookup series. Our premiere episode was last week. It was kissing. You actually still have 24 hours to watch that episode because it's available for seven days in replay after it airs. So if you can't watch these things live, that's okay. They're all digital events live streamed on momenthouse.com. Tickets are just 10 bucks. And our topics going forward, tomorrow we're going to tackle hand jobs, which I know you're probably like, hand jobs. I'm okay. Exactly. I'm going to teach you how to turn a hand job into like the sexiest, almost like fetish move that no guy is going to expect and you're going to live in infamy. And then next Thursday, we're going to be doing blowjobs, which I mean, buckle the fuck up. And then after that, we are rounding the bases and talking about sex, how to have sex and how to be like truly unforgettable in bed, how to be on top, all of that stuff. So you can hit the link for all of these things right down in the show notes and I will see you in all these other different places, hopefully Italy. Okay, let's talk oversharing. Because like I said, I've got a touch of a blabbermouth bone. So one girl was messaging and she was saying that she tends to do this at work with one of her coworkers. And she's like, I, we're both in sales and I just blurt out all of my sales tactics to this girl. And I'm like the top seller. She's not doing very well. And I'm like, just like spilling my guts. And the second it leaves my mouth, I hate myself. The second it leaves my mouth, I hate myself. And yet I keep doing it. What's going on? Like this girl's really cool and she's like really pretty and everything, but like I'm the better salesman and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, okay, there it is though. There it is though. The girl is really pretty and she's really cool. What does that tell us? That tells us that you feel less than, that this is a panic, social inclusion, and low self-esteem response. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. When I overshare, because again, like I've been getting these questions and I've been forced to confront that like, uh, maybe there's a reason God wants me to like tackle these questions. I do it at parties around people I either don't know super well or a party I kind of don't want to be at. I end up blurting things out and I do it so that people won't judge me. I'm worried that people are going to be like, that challenge, she's kind of a dumb slut, right? So what do I do? I'm like, hey, I'm Shallon. I'm like the local dumb slut. I won't maybe say that specifically, but I will tell a story that leaves literally no other interpretation than that's a dumb slut. I'm biting myself to avoid getting bitten. Do you know what I mean? A lot of times our oversharing, I mean, our oversharing very rarely is to our benefit. Very often, it's self-deprecating. It's self-demeaning. It is no way we would ever be speaking about someone else. If our best friend was next to us, we wouldn't be like, hey, have you met Abby? She's like a dumb slut. 
We would never say that. We would never certainly lead with that. Even if she was, we wouldn't lead with it. But we will do it to ourselves, okay? Same with this girl at work, our shalligator at work. If she was talking about a co-work, she wouldn't be like, oh my God, this is Kristen. Here's all the way she gets clients. Kristen would be like, what the fuck, Chelsea? Like, literally, I didn't, are you serious? We have more respect for other people and their boundaries than sometimes we have for our own. So I think the reason the shalligator was doing that is she felt like inherently less than this girl and she wanted to be socially included. Now, social inclusion needs are weird because we get like kind of too caught up in the circumstance. It's like, well, socially included in what? Like there's no party going on. You know, there's no sorority bid day. There's no dodgeball team you're being picked for. It doesn't really work that way because our social inclusion mind, and look, we've talked about social inclusion needs before and like the hierarchy of needs. It is right after food and shelter. It is that important. Like it is the thing we need after we have shelter. Oh, we need to be part of a tribe, right? So it's baked in at a very reptilian level for us. And that means there's not a lot of logic operating. So we can look at our coworkers or any sort of social group, meaning groups with other people, not social like a party or an Instagram chat, like social as in a tribe, a tribe of gamers, a tribe of volleyball players, a tribe of coworkers, a tribe of family. And when we look at it through that lens, it's like, okay, we really need to be included here. And if we look at this other girl, this coworker, as some sort of leader in that tribe, well, <laughs> now we're getting down to it. What won't a pack animal do to getting good with the alpha? The question is, why do you believe she's an alpha, right? When I go back to my examples, I'm at a party and I was literally at an art gallery and I was spewing out just the stupidest, most demeaning, non-flattering shit I could think of about myself. And I was trying to pause and I'm like, what the fuck am I? Th Why did I decide these are people that need to be impressed? Why do I need to shuck and jive and tell jokes? Why do I need to play that part right now? Because even if I wasn't oversharing, I was filling the silence. I couldn't just have an awkward silence. I mean, I didn't even know these people. Why did I feel so responsible for them having a really good time? Like, they don't mean shit to me. But they did. Somehow. Because look how I was responding. For me, it goes back to, like, issues with family. Like, my mother and my grandmother were at each other's throats constantly, and I had to play the little court jester, the peacemaker, the therapist. Does that sound familiar? Look at the dynamics in your overshare situations. And ask yourself, does this at all mimic something that went on in my family? But remember earlier when I said, you might not have a problem with oversharing. Your problem might be something different. Your panic response and how it manifests might look different. Here are some things it might look like. Eating. Drinking. Getting up and walking around. Fidgeting. Complaining. Reorienting the energy. Not letting anybody else have the spotlight. Shutting down completely. Did I already say complaining? I feel like that bears repeating. You know, we all have those sourpuss friends where it's like if, oh my God, I have a friend like this. If people start to have too good of a time and especially where guys are concerned, 
Like if they're getting a little too much attention, she will suddenly have a tummy ache. She'll have a migraine. She'll decide to talk about the time her brother almost committed suicide, which, by the way, didn't even fucking happen. She will reorient the energy to her. She will light a fire to get eyes on it, right? Those kind of people are the worst. And they're absolutely awful when they are us, in fact, right? So how do we pinpoint if and when we're doing this stuff? I want you to think about the worst times you have at a party. And I mean a party, right? Because parties are such a crystal example of the social inclusion needs, right? There's such a hierarchy. I mean, they're so fraught with so many things. And then you can expand it out to like, okay, how do I feel when I'm with my family? How do I feel when I'm at work? And these other sort of tribe situations. But think of a party. When do you feel not great? And you might be like, no, I feel I like parties. That's what I would have said. I like parties. I mean, I get dressed up and like I can go on, oh, but it's like, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's get granular. Did you feel great when you were calling yourself a dumb slut in front of those people you didn't know? Uh, no, I didn't feel great about that. Okay. Think about maybe when you had like a physical agitation response, when you were just like, oh, I'm so bored, or when you were hitting the buffet again or pouring yourself a third gin and tonic. What was going on in that environment? Was there someone there you didn't like? Was there someone there who's making you feel bad about yourself? Threatened? When I look at mine, it was, I actually had just wanted to go home. I was bored. It, I mean, that's like, it seems like kind of too simple of an answer. But for me, that's when my panic response kicks in. I'm bored. I don't want to be here anymore. There's no boys to flirt with. The music is dumb. I don't want this food. I've taken as many pictures as I need to in this outfit. I've checked all my boxes. I kind of just want to go home. I was never actually able to admit that to myself until I stopped drinking. Because typically, I would never say that. I would literally just pour another drink. Not like I'd be blacked out, but I was drinking to lessen the panic response, to give myself something to do, to have a better time. And now, being sober, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm very aware that I don't want to be here anymore. Who cares? I've only been here like 30 minutes. I'm bored. I've hit a wall. And so now instead of sitting around and doing the shucking and jiving and clownery and dumb sluttery, I leave. I leave. So I want you to make some lists. When you find yourself oversharing, what specifically are you saying? What is the subtext of that? Okay. When I think about this alligator at work, the subtext of why she's spilling all of her work secrets to a girl who she sees as very pretty and therefore having some social weight to her, she wants to seem valid and worthy. She wants either respect from this alleged alpha female or she wants to better her. And so maybe the subtext is, well, I can't compete with her beauty, but goddammit, I'm going to compete in this other category. I'm going to fucking win when it comes to work. I get that, Right. Whatever your impetus is, it doesn't mean it's crazy or wrong. It's just helpful to look right at it because then the fear-based brain goes out of it and you're like, wait a minute, I, I am better than her at work. I am better than her at work. I don't need to tell her how I got better to underscore the fact that I am. Confidence is quiet. My numbers speak for themselves. That's great that she's pretty. And if we were in a beauty contest, yeah, she might win. But we're not, sweetheart. We're at Goldman Sachs. And I win. Sometimes all it takes is looking at that, looking at what your brain is trying to say, what the insecurity is hoping you can prove, right? And then it becomes kind of silly. You're like, wait, that's that's what you were trying to say? Huh. 
Okay. Then ask yourself, like, how was I feeling physically in that moment? Did I have a tummy ache? Did I have to get up and walk around? Did I reach for a drink or a snack? Like, after I said that thing that was too much or I did that thing that was a panic response, what did I do to pacify myself? How did my body physically feel? And what did my body feel like it needed to do in order to process that? Like, what was my nervous system, my limbic response? So unpack what that fear brain was telling you at the time. And so the real question is, how do we create boundaries? And I love the way the Shalligator phrased it. She's like, how do I create boundaries for myself so that they come across effortlessly to other people? She nailed it. She nailed it. I was talking about this in a video, I think last week or something, where it's like, I think a therapist said to me, like, boundaries aren't fences for other people. They're a fence for you. Like, think about a home. You build a fence around a home. You don't build a fence around anybody who comes down your street and leave no fence around your home. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. And so you going into interactions, being like, here's my boundary for them. No, 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 girl. They're not rules for other people because you cannot apply rules to other people. Like, you just can't. Like, people don't work that way. They're like, go fuck yourself. Boundaries are rules for us. And I've noticed a lot of really toxic people, and I'm sure you have too, like have latched onto like the boundary train, you know? They love it. They love to talk about their boundaries and boundaries this and blah, 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 blah. But what they're actually doing is leaving themselves no governance and expecting everyone else to conform to their standards. And number one, like I said, that's not realistic. And nor the fuck is it fair. Go fuck yourself, Kourtney Kardashian. Are you kidding me? Like, you need to have rules for self-governance. So we, again, need to be doing that and conveying them in a way that, like the Shalligator said, is effortlessly respectful. The big fear with boundaries is that no one is going to like you. But ironically, people like people who have boundaries, not people who have no filter. Celebrities, I think, are a really good example of this. Like, pick any amazing celebrity. She's got some rock-solid boundaries. Look at Rihanna. Does she seem like someone who takes a lot of shit? How about Michelle Obama? For me, I think about Haley Baldwin. And you know I love Haley. She's very sweet. She's very soft. But she isn't like the typical Hollywood chick. She doesn't, I'm assuming, she doesn't do drugs. Like, she's just, she has her own code. Of course, she could maybe have better boundaries. Justin, let's just ignore that part. But I look at her as someone who can be very soft and warm and loving and kind of pure and innocent in that way and non-bitchy but is still very sure of who she is. No, she's going to church. No, she's not doing a line of coke. Like, that's who she is. But then you look at someone who's a bit of a clown, like Snooki or someone from Love Island, right? You know, they don't seem like they have a lot of boundaries at all. People can do whatever they want. They say anything that pops into their mind. And so people don't really respect them. Oh, they're laughing, all right. But they're laughing at them, not with them. So look at the answers to the list that I gave you and start to form a composite of the triggering situations where you tend to overshare, what things keep coming up, what patterns keep emerging. Then you can start to make a plan to avoid it, okay? And like I said, this is how I get at parties. And when it boils down to, I don't want to be here anymore, okay? So when I get that twitchy, when I get triggery and I find myself kind of like my eyes are darting back and forth, like, oh gosh, what do I need to say next? I'm like, okay, that is my physical cue. It's time to go. I start saying my goodbyes. 
And listen, this is progress, not perfection. It's okay to be like, ah, I said something dumb, but you know what? I realize why I said it. And I know I'm going to either like talk myself off the ledge. I don't need to compete with this chick at work. I'm already winning. I don't need to impress these people at a party if the reality is I'd kind of just rather be home with my dog, you know, because I get you can't just walk out of work, but maybe you can do logistical things like avoid lunches with your coworker where she might start pumping you for information you don't want to give. Start bringing your lunch to work. Make your own coffee. Things like that. You really would be surprised that even a few simple switches can take you out of those triggering situations long enough for you to get some objectivity that they were happening. Do you know what I mean? If you were getting triggered at that coworker lunch and for one week you bring your own lunch and you're like, wow, I haven't overshared. I haven't felt that anxious pit in my stomach. I actually feel better. Okay. Maybe it was as easy as removing yourself from these logistical situations and being on your own a little bit. It's ironic that sometimes the way to avoid those social inclusion triggers is to avoid the social inclusion. It's not to try to go further into these tribe situations. It's to actually step back from them and be a little bit more okay with yourself. Because the way a tribe works, the way a pack works, is that no one person's needs comes above the others, right? You're all in this shit together. But when you can pull back and say, hmm, what are my needs right now? I actually don't want to be out till midnight. I don't want to take shots. I don't want to talk about my sales tactics. And if that is the price of admission for being in this tribe, I'm actually good. I feel more peace, more pride in myself, more relaxation, more stability on my own. This is evolution. Our reptile, Darwinistic caveman brain, whatever you want to call it, we were caveman reptiles, is telling you, oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 you need to be part of this tribe. Do whatever you need to. Say whatever you need to. Keep going. But we're not reptiles in caves. We're motherfucking alpha females, aren't we? And we can override those impulses. We override impulses all the time to hump the leg of a hot guy at the ranch supply store, to pee wherever we want. We override things constantly. So don't tell yourself you can't do it. Don't tell yourself you couldn't possibly unpack this. And most importantly, don't tell yourself, it, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. It does matter because it's upsetting you. And maybe it doesn't upset somebody. Maybe it doesn't upset the Snooky. But you are the Rihanna. I want to know your thoughts on this. Let me know, Shalligators. Please feel free to join me in the Shalantourage, our daily tech service. It is so fun. It's such a wonderful, cozy little clubhouse full of alphas. It's just fantastic. Also, join me tomorrow on momenthouse.com where I'm going to be talking all things hand jobs. And don't forget to sign up for the Pillow Talk After Party. It's just five bucks. And you can ask me questions directly about the topic. And I'm going to answer any questions that might have come up during the live stream. And don't worry, you can watch both the live stream and the after party for a week at your leisure before we move on to the next topic. All right, I'll see you later, Shalligators. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Shalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.